earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. We're in the series I've called, Oh, That Verse Means That? And we've been taking a closer look at some popular Bible passages we've understood a certain way, or that we've been taught mean one thing, but they really mean something very different. Today is session three, so if you've missed any sessions or want to catch up, go to faithtalk1360.com and search the menu for local program podcasts. Then scroll to A Word from the Word. As I've been saying, friends, the Bible has a story to tell us, doesn't it? In fact, it's crying out, it's screaming out to tell us its story. But what are we preachers, teachers, and pastors, as well as every average Christian, do? We end up making, and I'll even say forcing, the Bible to tell our story, whether we do this knowingly or unknowingly. And to this I'll still say, shame on us. Well, I'm adapting today's title from a line by Shakespeare that you're probably familiar with, and I'm sure you'll see the connection. I'm calling it, To Judge or Not to Judge. That is the question. Because this really is the question, not only in life, but particularly regarding our life together in the church, isn't it? Friends, let's all be totally honest and upfront right at the outset here, okay? How many of us hear people say, don't judge, lest you be judged? How many of us have had that said to us? I dare say some of us have said this ourselves. Well, I'd really like to put this issue to rest today, once and for all. So, friends, let's begin by identifying where in the Bible this statement and idea are found, okay? It's found in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, and it's made by Jesus. The traditional wording that we've probably grown accustomed to goes like this, Judge not, lest you be judged. Perhaps we've heard only the first phrase, judge not, or maybe something like, hey, the Bible says judge not, right? Well, friends, I'm going to read Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6, so we can get a renewed sense of the immediate context of this famous statement we so easily throw out to people or hear people throw back at us. Do not judge, so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck, or splinter, or chip of wood, in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log or beam or plank of wood that is in your own eye. Notice the contrast in size here, friends. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. 
Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, or they'll trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, friends, before we extract the truth contained in these verses, we must first realize the absolute necessity of letting the context rule our interpretation. The immediate context of Matthew 7-1, our verse under examination, is verses 2-6, through six, and the broader context is actually found in the entire Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5-7. through seven. Not only in the midst of this sermon, but outside its declarations by Jesus, we find several hints that Jesus makes reference to the Jewish religious leaders. You know them, right? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the scribes. For me, it's easier to refer to this whole lot as the JRL, the Jewish religious leaders. And friends, it's important that we observe and review these references, such as Matthew 5.20. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you'll certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 6, 1 and 2. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. When you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, let's pause here for a moment. Doesn't this verse remind you of a scenario Jesus presents elsewhere? Like the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18? Here's a quick glimpse of that story from verse 9. He, Jesus, told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray. Now, this reference to the temple may include the entire temple complex or its outer courtyards. My take here is that Jesus wanted this display of religiosity to be very public. So the text continues, One was a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and began praying this in regard to himself. God, I thank you, I'm not like other people, swindlers, crooked, adulterers, or even like this tax collector... And you just picture him turning his head and glancing at the tax collector, letting God know this is the person he's referring to? I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to raise his eyes toward heaven, but was beating his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And friends, the definite article, the, is in the text. This is just me musing here, but I picture this tax collector thinking to himself that he's the sinner and the Pharisee is the righteous one. Well, a rude awakening is coming, isn't it? Jesus continues, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went to his house justified rather than the other one, the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Well, let's add to the references I began. We read Matthew 5.20 and 6.1. Here are a few more. Matthew 6, 16, when you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others their fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Matthew 23, 1 through 12, the operative statements being, the scribes and Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. 
They do all their deeds to be noticed by people. They broaden their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love the place of honor at banquets and the seat of honor in the synagogues. After Jesus' rant, he then ends with, Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Sound familiar? As if this wasn't enough, friends, verses 13 through 36 include a slew of woes Jesus pronounced against these Jewish religious leaders. You ought to read all of them, and also those recorded in Luke 11. But here's a few appropriate woes from Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut the kingdom of heaven in front of people, for you don't enter it yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel— Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you, too, outwardly appear righteous to people, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness." Friends, did you notice the repetition of words or concepts like hypocrisy, pharisaic righteousness, pride, blindness, outward show, yet inward death, uncleanness, lawlessness, and hypocrisy? You see, friends, what's crucial to notice is that if we take the opening phrase, do not judge in Matthew 7, 1, in its absolute sense, or strictly at face value, we'll find ourselves in a quandary, because judging is absolutely necessary if we're to obey verses 4 and 5, which I'll refresh our memories. How can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, the log is in your own eye, you hypocrite, First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. You see, if we're to do what Jesus says, in other words, adhere to his instructions, we must make a judgment call, an evaluation here, right? Friends, I'd like to propose that the pivotal statement in this entire portion is verse 5, which I'll remind us, you hypocrite, First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Now, let's also observe verse 5 directs our attention to the hypocrite. The hypocrite is the one these statements by Jesus are aimed at. In fact, friends, I'm going to go out on a limb here and suggest that we take the words, you hypocrite, out of verse 5 and transpose them into the beginning of verse 1, making the first five making the first five verses read, You hypocrite, do not judge, so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it'll be measured to you. Why do you look at the splinter that's in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, the log is in your own eye? First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Friends, are we connecting the dots here? Finally? 
and you see that the difference transposing the words you hypocrite makes to the meaning of this portion? Has it become more evident now to whom Jesus is directing his attention? Friends, I did this exercise to show us all that absolute judging cannot be the subject under discussion here. Otherwise, as I said earlier, verses 4 and 5 make absolutely no sense and can't be carried out. So, the immediate context and some broader contextual statements help us and actually protect us from drawing faulty conclusions. I propose to you, friends, that Matthew 7, 1 through 6, and particularly verses 4 and 5, instruct us how to judge and with what motives. And in this context, the term judge takes on the meaning of discerning and evaluating, as in making a judgment call when needed. First and foremost, we must put away our own hypocrisy. That is, we must remove the plank from our own eye. In other words, repent of our similar sins, and then we'll see clearly to remove the splinter from a fellow believer's eye. Now, friends, let's continue consulting the whole counsel of God for additional scriptural support for what Jesus says about himself in comparison to the judging of others. I believe Jesus helps us put his words in Matthew 7 in perspective. So, let's listen to Jesus in these following scripture passages. First up, John 5.30, "'By myself I can do nothing.' I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Friends, this brief statement by Jesus is power-packed. Notice he says there is a judgment that is just. And second, notice that the goal of his judgment is to please the Father and not himself. So this speaks to motives. How many times have we judged someone for the express purpose of self-aggrandizement or to make ourselves look good and the other person look bad? This is sheer hypocrisy. Okay, second, John 7:24. Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. The Greek here actually says judge righteous judgments. If we jump ahead to verse 51, Nicodemus was attending a meeting with the chief priests, some Pharisees, and duly sent officers during a dispute over who Jesus was. Nicodemus said to the group, Our law does not judge a person unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing. Interesting advice from a member of the Sanhedrin, huh? How many of us have made a judgment call on someone else without even first hearing what that person has to say, likely hearing about them from someone else? This act falls into the category of gossip or slander, both of which the Lord hates. See Proverbs six sixteen through nineteen. Okay, third John eighteen fifteen and sixteen. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true, because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. Note, friends, when Jesus says, I pass judgment on no one, the context forces us to conclude that Jesus passes judgment on no one the way the Pharisees do. The first half of this statement is supremely important. You judge by human standards. Okay, now, fourth, John eight twenty six. I have many things to say and to judge regarding you, 
Now back in 813, it's clear Jesus is conversing with the Pharisees. Okay, friends, fifth, Luke six thirty-seven through 42. Now, this is actually the parallel passage to Matthew 7, 1 through 6, and worth consulting. Here, Luke brings out a meaning behind judge that is not often considered or realized. One meaning behind the word judge is condemn. It's a legal term and pictures one being judged or condemned in a court of law. Luke's expansion of Matthew 7, 1 is... Do not be judged, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. And finally, sixth, Luke twelve fifty six and 57. But the context actually begins back in chapter 11, verse 37, when Jesus enters into a conversation with a Pharisee, to which Jesus then talks against the Pharisees, the scribes and lawyers, with several more woes in verses 42 through 54, where Luke concludes that they began to get hostile and interrogated him more and plot against him to catch him in something he might say. So in 12:56 and 57 Jesus says, You hypocrites, you know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky, but how is it you don't know how to analyze this present time? And why do you even judge by yourselves what is right? Don't you do that? Notice friends, Jesus admits there's a right or righteous kind of judgment. Now, friends, let's take the next step here and scout out some other scripture writings by other apostles in the New Testament to see if there's future further agreement on this matter. Let's begin with Jesus' half or stepbrother, James. In James four eleven and 12, we read, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Notice, friends, that James is very careful here to describe the type of judging he is cautioning against. He's talking about slander here. Okay, now let's consult Paul, who in Romans 2, 1 through 4, begins, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same thing. Doesn't this sound just like Jesus in Matthew 7, 4 and 5, when he says, How can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. How about when Paul says in Romans 14, 1 through 23, let me just highlight a few things here. The subject at hand is counseling against passing judgment on believers for their eating habits in a pagan culture. Paul's advice begins in verse 5, each person should be fully convinced in their own mind. In verse 14, he adds, I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. To which he then concludes in verses 22 and 23, So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. 
The point here being, some judgment calls are matters of conscience, and we must be careful to give others liberty to make some decisions on their own. For example, my wife grew up with members of her extended family being alcoholics. She herself was on the verge of becoming an alcoholic. She can't accept invitations from peers to go to a bar for a meal and drinks, or socialize with peers who serve alcohol in their homes. They all know that when we come to visit, it has to be an alcohol-free evening. As a matter of fact, when we were dating, she flat out said to me, If you want to marry me, alcohol can never touch your lips again. To which I simply replied, Okay. So, friends, for us, it's a matter of conscience. We don't judge our Christian friends for holding different convictions about consuming alcoholic beverages. Well, let's finish this segment with Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 6, 1-6. through 6. The gist of this portion being found in verse 2. If you're able to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? The implication here, friends, is that Paul assumes and recognizes that there are times when we must exercise or make judgment calls in matters that affect us in our relationships in the body of Christ. Well, let's pause briefly here and unpack two primary terms, one Old Testament and one New Testament. Our Old Testament word in Hebrew carries the meanings of a right sentence, a verdict pronounced based on what is right. (coughs) Pardon me a just decision, or acting and deciding justly. Friends, God actually requires us humans to judge rightly. Note Isaiah 1, 16 and 17, Micah 3, 1 through 12. There's actually a bunch of Old Testament scriptures that demand this from us, like Exodus 23, Leviticus 19, Deuteronomy 1, Proverbs 24, and Zechariah 8. Now, our Old New Testament Greek word carries these meanings. To distinguish, to make a judgment either positive or negative, to pick out or choose by separating right from wrong, innocent from guilty, to judge accurately by intelligent comparison and contrast based on God's word, to approve what is correct and reject what is wrong, even to pronounce an opinion concerning right and wrong, to be an arbiter in reference to the words and deeds of others. Whoa! This New Testament word actually has a Hebraistic equivalent to the idea of presiding over and making judicial decisions. Our New Testament word even carries the understanding of calling into question. Friends, even our English word has Latin roots with these meanings, deciding rightly, forming an opinion about something through careful weighing of evidence and testing of premises. Well, friends, I believe there are four apt conclusions we can come to regarding judging. First, judgment Jesus forbids is judgment that arises out of a self-reverential and hypercritical spirit. Friends, a hypercritical spirit often leads to a hypocritical spirit. But judgment that Jesus commends is judgment that springs from a faithful knowledge of the truth shown in God's word and never loses sight of the gospel's goal. Second, judgment Jesus forbids is that which takes pleasure in looking down at others as inferior. But judgment Jesus commends flows from a broken heart over one's own sins, and never loses sight that we all are fellow sinners in need of grace. Third, 
Judgment, Jesus forbids, presumes to be able to judge others' motives. But judgment, Jesus commends, deals with actions and deeds, because only God is capable of judging our heart motives. And fourth, judgment, Jesus forbids, hypocritically ignores glaring personal faults while nitpicking others' lesser faults. But judgment Jesus commends freely, acknowledges our own faults, and offers others the benefit of the doubt regarding theirs. Now, you're probably wondering about verse 6, you know, the dogs and pigs. We cannot hypocritically judge, yet we must discern who the dogs and pigs are, differentiating between judging and discerning, making sure we don't offer pearls to those with no scruples or ethics like animals. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're at the end of today's program. Our broadcast will close with an email where you may write me. And the podcasts are posted at faithtalk1360.com. Just search for local program podcasts. And friends, a word from the word is a listener-supported program. Christian radio in general and a word from the word in particular are not immune from the challenging financial and economic times we're in. So please consider financially helping keep a word from the word on the air. Email me for the details. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com.